0: We just finished reading The Intellectual Life by A.G. Sertalange in the book club that I host each week online. And there are five things I learned from this book that I'd like to share with you today. I'd like to make this a book recommendation. I think you'll find it interesting. If you're someone who likes philosophical readings and wants to get into something that's a little easier but very impactful, this is a great book. Let's dig into it. Welcome to this week's episode of the Read Well Podcast. My name is Eddie Hood and I'm your host, where I believe it's more important to read well than to be well read. So grab your favorite book, open up your notes, and let's get ready to learn something fascinating. everyone. Welcome back. My name is Eddie Hood, and this is episode 20 of the Read Well podcast. I'm just fascinated that we've made it this far, and I'm so grateful for all of your support and listening. I've been getting a lot of emails and texts and messages on Facebook about the podcast itself, and I just really, really appreciate that feedback from you. Now, I host a book club online and we read each week together and we've gone through what's called The Intellectual Life. It's a philosophical book written in the 1920s by a gentleman named A.G. Sertelange. And before I get into the five lessons I learned from this book, I want to point out why this book is the way it is and help you sort of get some context before you decide to dig into it. So the first disclaimer is about the author himself. This is a Catholic friar, and so there is a religious element to this book. Now, whether you're Catholic or not, or you are religious or not, I'd like to ask you to try and see past those ideas into the practical applications of this book, because the goal here is to learn how to live an intellectual life, how to be a better reader, a better writer, and ultimately a better thinker. The second waiver or disclaimer, whatever you want to call it, is that, again, this was written in the 1920s at a time when culture was much different than we see it today. And the book has a little bit of misogyny in it, wherein he describes a wife's role to her husband, that she should be his helpmeet, that it is his job— to be the intellectual and the thinker, it is her job to support him in doing that. Now, uh, again, I'm asking you to sort of see past that so that we don't get lost on the actual, um, or we don't lose the actual value of the book here. Of course, uh, I don't support that idea, and I don't, I don't, I don't know, but the, the goal here is for you to, again, stay focused on what truly really matters. So, let's get past that bit, uh, and I will say that the first chapter or two is pretty focused on the religious aspect, but then it gets into the actual work of being a intellectual, and that's where I find this book fascinating. This is a small work. It's all of roughly, I'm looking here, 260 pages for the book that I hold in my hand. It's small. I could fit it into my pocket. You could put it in your purse. And it's nice because it's, like I say, written at a level that is very accessible to anyone who's just getting into philosophy. And I would suggest you try this before you get into heavier works because, again, he's preparing you to be a thinker, a reader, and a writer. Really great skill sets if you want to dig into something heavier down the road like Hume or Nietzsche or Kant or something similar. Okay, let's get into the five ways that this book influenced and affected my life. And I hope that you get something similar out of this because these are really, really important and impactful for me. The first lesson was how to organize your life for intellectual thinking. It's an interesting concept, right? The idea of organizing your life. I think we're all sort of fascinated by how to get more out of our day-to-day. Whether you are trying to build a business, run a family, keep your home clean, there is an organizational aspect that makes those adventures a little easier to complete. Now, he's asking us not to just be better day planners, but he's actually asking us to organize not only our internal selves, but our external lives so that there is time and space to be an intellectual, to be a thinker. I'm going to read a passage from the book for you, and this is going to get into detail about what he's trying to say here. Sartalon says, "...in order that everything in you should be directed towards your work, it's not enough to organize yourself within." Definitely to settle your vocation and to make wise use of your powers, you must further arrange your exterior life. I mean in respect to its framework, its obligations, its contrast, its setting. One word suggests itself here before any other, you must simplify your life. I don't know about you, but that speaks to me. My life is chaos, uh, but in a good way. I appreciate my chaos, and I created it. However, if I want to create good work, I really do need to simplify some things down. That's the first step I've taken in my life. I actually work with some really fantastic people, and I've had to re-delegate out things that are in my world, things that shouldn't be there. And over the past couple weeks, I've gone from wearing 10 hats down to three. I can count physically three professional hats that I'm wearing now. It's probably two too many, but hey, it's better than 10. I also like that he's suggesting we have both an interior and an exterior life. Not only do I need to sort of get my emotional life under control so that I can think appropriately, but I need a physical space to do this thinking in. Now, I work in my basement. It is a rather small room. There are no windows, no natural light. There are uh, really, it's not, I don't know, it's, it's a tight space to work in. It feels like Harry Potter under the broom closet or under the stairs. That's what my life feels like. So after reading this section, I decided that that was going to end and I made a pretty big decision. I decided to go out and get an office space. So just this week, actually today, as I'm recording this, we just signed a lease for a specific spot near to my home. It's only four minutes away, but there are three rooms there, two rooms and then a larger one. And I'm very excited about this because this is a space where I will exist for the purpose of creating better content for the Readwell community. So I'm gonna have a room dedicated to just the Readwell podcast, where I can be doing the podcasting and shooting my YouTube videos. I'll have a separate room for my other company to do YouTube videos there. It's an accounting firm. And then I will have a larger room where I will be doing work and production and uh, B-roll and all of, that, all of that other stuff. So very excited to have sort of a workshop place to go and be creative. Now, if you're listening to this and following the show and you're curious to know when I'm moving in there, the lease will be open October 20th. That's the goal by the landlord. So I should be moving in at that point. And I will be filming and bringing you along with me. And So watch the YouTube channel if you're interested to see this space get built. It's going to be a lot of fun. The next lesson in the intellectual life is to create uninterrupted space for work. Now, this is different than having a physical space. This is to say that while you're in that space, you should be uninterrupted. And I think we all know what that means, right? The the constant ding of notifications, the email, the phone, the music, the TV playing in the background, all of those things defocus us from doing our very best work. And Surtelange is asking us to be very on point with our focus time. If we've decided this is time for creation and for production of our work, we should do that and that alone. And I agree. I think that's something I can get better at. But I'd like to read this passage for you from the book. I think I think you will find this interesting. Here we go. Search says, Whatever decision you have made, the chosen moments must be carefully secured and you must take all personal precautions so as to use them to the fullest. You must see to it beforehand that nothing happens to crowd up, waste, shorten, or interfere with this precious time. You want it to be a time of plentitude. Then shut remote preparation out of it. Make all the necessary arrangements beforehand. Know what you want to do and how you want to do it. Gather your materials, your notes, your books. Avoid having to interrupt your work for trifles. Now, I love this because I only get so much time in a day to do what I consider truly valuable work. And I really do get frustrated when I get interrupted in that space of time. So it is upon me, it is my responsibility to protect that time. Nobody's going to do it for me. Nobody's going to look out for my calendar. They're looking out for their own. And that's okay. I don't blame them. I just need to put up some walls and some barriers, some kind barriers around that time to let people know that I'm unavailable. All right, lesson number three was very personal for me, and I think it might be personal for you too. If you're the kind of person that I think you are, the one who's listening to this podcast, that means that you're curious about life. You like to read books. You like to explore new ideas. You have interests, probably too many interests. Welcome to my world. Throughout my life, I have been interested in playing guitar, photography, woodworking, reading books, raising kids. I mean, the list goes on and on, and I've loved every one of them. And you know what? Search says that that's actually a good thing. We should start our life by exploring many avenues of interest. However, there needs to be a point in time where we narrow that down to probably a specific interest so that we can actually begin to excel at it. I find that somewhat terrifying, but also exciting. You know, while it's hard to say no to things that interest you, it's very fulfilling to say yes to something and give it everything you've got. I decided to say yes to books and to the ReadWell community. This is my life's legacy. I love books more than anything next to my family, and I want to inspire others to read more. That's why I'm here. So here's the passage from the book that helped me make this decision. Sir Talon says Everyone in life has his or her work. He must apply himself to it courageously and leave to others what Providence has reserved for others. We must keep from specialization as long as our aim is to become cultivated men, and as far as concerns those to whom these pages are addressed, superior men, but we must specialize anew when we aim at being men with a function, and producing something useful. In other words, we must understand everything, but in order to succeed in doing some one thing. So there he is. He is making a call to you. And again, you can hear that he's speaking only to men, which is, you know, remember the times that this book was written in and I added men and women in there because uh, our audience is vast and I'm just so grateful that you're all here. But I want you to get past that if you can and focus on the idea that he's saying, hey, dear reader, please pay attention to the fact that you have lots of interests, which is great, but until you pick one of them and really commit to them, you're never going to be really great at that thing. That's hard for me to hear. Those are difficult words to say out loud because I have a love for all of these hobbies, but I'm actively saying no to things now in my life. I'm turning things off. I'm shutting things down and I'm opening up time for these books and for this podcast and for this community because it means something to me. And that's the choice that I've made for me. You need to know you and you need to make the decisions for yourself. Hey everyone, I want to take just a quick second in the middle of this podcast to tell you about Highlightish.com. Think of highlighting a book but add I-S-H at the end. Highlightish.com is the tool that I use to make better book notes and to organize my writing. It's where I go to capture my favorite passages, annotate them, and then to turn that research into essays, blog posts, or research papers. If you're someone that wants to get more out of the books that you love and you want to turn that into great output, go to Highlightish.com today. Thanks for listening and let's get back to the show. Okay, on to lesson number four. This was also somewhat painful, but very valuable. Search asks us that while we're choosing our work, we should also be choosing our books. Yes, we should be reading lots of books, but we should not be reading randomly. He warns us that if we read too many books, we are going to get distracted from the true cause of reading, which is to learn and to apply that learning into our lives. Now note that I think it's perfectly fine, and I actually encourage you to read frivolously. I think it's good for your mental health. I have no issues with reading Stephen King or some other gripping plot. Where I fall on the argument though, is that the reading I do for my work must be valuable and that time should be well spent. So I used an analogy earlier of a dinner room table in the YouTube video I just shot. So think of a dinner party, and you've got eight seats around it, one for you, and there are seven other seats. If you were to invite seven other people to sit at your dining room table and have a meal with them, and these were, of course, your favorite authors from current or past times, who would you choose? And let's say you could only be with those seven people for the next year of your life. It's a really impactful decision to make, but it's an important one. So from The Intellectual Life, here's the passage where Sir is teaching us this principle. He says, choose your books. Do not trust interested advertising or catchy titles. Now I'm going to hit pause on the quote here because I like this idea. Don't trust a book just because it has a beautiful cover. Don't buy it because it has a beautiful cover. Buy the book because it's valuable to you and it's going to move you and your intellectual life forward. Okay, he goes on to say, have devoted and expert advisors. Go straight to the fountainhead to satisfy your thirst. Associate only with first-rate thinkers. Now, I love that. I love the idea of surrounding myself with people that I look up to and revere and want to learn from. Now, there's a bumper sticker I saw a while back that said, show me your five closest friends and I will show you your future. Whole lot of truth in that, right? Where the people you spend time with, you become like those people. So imagine, if you will, These seven people at your dining room table who you're having a meal with, these famous authors, let's say you actually spend the next year learning from them in their books. Who will you be one year from now? Okay, the last idea that I found fascinating and also very scary, but uh, really has made a difference in my life, is that search suggests that if all we're doing is reading and thinking, we're actually doing and accomplishing nothing. He calls us out and says it is time for us to produce. It's time for us to take all of that knowledge in whatever way we can and do something with it. Now, he suggests that we write, that we take that information and we turn it into some sort of written document. And I tend to agree with Surtelange. I think that writing for me at least, is the best possible way, not only to crystallize what I know and what I've learned, but to add my voice to the conversation and to write something persuasive. And I'm a big fan of writing essays. In fact, I recently did a podcast episode, I'd encourage you to check it out, on the art of writing essays and why I think they're so valuable. But that might not be for you. You might not want to write essays, and that is perfectly fine. However, there is something you can do to share your voice. It could be writing essays, blog posts, or research papers. Maybe you want to start a YouTube channel or do a presentation at work, or perhaps you want to sit down at the dinner table with your kids tonight and share with them something interesting. The point here is to take that information from your books and spread it. So let's jump into the part of the book where he's asking us to produce something with our knowledge. He says... You have come now to the moment for producing results. I just hearing that, I'm hitting pause for a second. Just reading that makes my skin tingle because it's, you know, it's like, what are we gonna make? What are you gonna write? What are you gonna do with your life? I think it's so exciting to know that we're going to be adding our thoughts and our voices to the world. And I think whatever you have to say or think is very valuable. We just gotta get it out of your head and onto paper or onto video, or again, wherever you're going to be. The quote goes on to say, one cannot be forever learning and forever getting ready. Moreover, learning and getting ready are inseparable from a certain amount of production, which is helpful to them. One finds one's way only by taking it. Now that, to me, is the best line in the whole book, and coming across that was worth the entire price tag I paid for this book, which was, I don't know, probably less than $10. It's just a fantastic book. But let's say that again one more time. One finds one's way only by taking it. I like that because you know you don't really know what you're capable of, and you can't really get quality feedback by sitting at your desk and doing nothing. It's simply by sending your work out into the world and having the public look at it and give you some answers to what you're doing that make you better. It forces you to get better. In fact, Talange uses that exact phrase. He says that by sending your work out. It forces you to get better because the public won't have it any other way. It's a really, really great way to refine what you do. Now, in my own personal life, I decided to get serious about essay writing, and so I have committed to writing one essay a week. I post those at thereadwellpodcast.com, and I would encourage you, if you haven't already done so, to head over to thereadwellpodcast.com and go ahead and subscribe to my newsletter because I will be sharing with you once a week the essay that I write. It's always related to either building better reading habits or better writing habits and becoming an intellectual thinker. So if that speaks to you, I'd love to see you there. So yes, I believe that The Intellectual Life by H.E. Sertelange is worth a read. In fact, many people say that they will read this book every year just to stay focused on doing their work. You know, it has encouraged me to make several positive changes in my life over the past month, changes which will affect the quality of the work that I do. So if you choose to read it, I hope you do so courageously. Take Sertelange's challenges to heart and make the changes in your life that will help you do the work that you love. Again, I'd like to thank you for listening to the show. It means a lot to me that you're here. And if you have, again, not uh, subscribed to the newsletter yet, go on over to the readwellpodcast.com Hit the subscribe button and uh, join the newsletter there so that you can get the most up-to-date information on the community. You'll learn about the book club, a uh, Highlightish, which is a tool I'm building to help us build better book notes. You'll get my essays and so on. It's just a really great way to stay connected. Thanks again for listening, and I will see you all next week. If you'd like to take your reading to the next level, then head on over to our website at thereadwellpodcast.com. There you can get access to my weekly newsletter as well as up-to-date show information. Also, don't forget that I learned software development on the side just so that I could build a program to help us make better book notes as we read. If you're interested, go to highlightish.com. Think of highlighting a book, but add ish, I-S-H, at the end. Highlightish.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you on the next show.